Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 109. Taylor Dawson is a founding member of GE Appliance's First Build Microfactory. In addition to his conversation with Brian, he spoke at the Inside Outside Innovation Summit in May. He had some great stories to tell about First Build's origins and the obstacles they've conquered and the challenges they're still solving. IO Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and brightest in the world of startups and innovation. It is hosted by Brian Ardinger, founder of Next, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that helps innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. at the uh, IO Summit a couple weeks ago, and uh, I was just talking to you before we uh, went live here that uh, I must have had about 20 people come up to me after the show saying, hey, uh, that discussion that we had with uh, Taylor was awesome. And so I wanted to get you on the on the podcast to tell a little bit about some of the things that you've been in this space of innovation and, and some of the things that you've learned. So uh, kind of to get us started and to give the audience a little bit of background, uh, you're with Giddy right now, which is a open product development platform and that, but I, you started out kind of in the corporate innovation space. And um, so why don't you uh, give us a little bit of background on how did you get into the innovation space to begin with? I will. First, let me give a quick plug for the IO Summit. It's a good reason to go to Nebraska in the summertime. I really enjoyed it. It was really well put together. Thanks. Um, to answer your question about how we got into it, interesting story. Um, a lot of your audience will probably be pretty familiar with uh, concepts of the lean startup as popularized by Eric Ries. So he was um, a consultant for GE corporate. At that time, GE Appliances was owned by GE. Now it's actually owned by a Chinese company, but that's a different story. So um, he had uh, helped come up with this initiative internally that was called FastWorks. And so the, I became aware of Lean Startup actually as a corporate employee. I'd never heard of it. It was about 2014. I became aware of it through this FastWorks program. So I heard about FastWorks. And I was immediately excited. I was an engineering manager at the time. So I had a group of eight engineers I was overseeing. And engineers, of course, have lots and lots of cool ideas. And they generally feel like they don't have the capacity to get them out into the world. And so when we started talking about this, we realized that some of these ideas that we had internally might have some way an escape valve, uh, in a sense, of getting out into the world. And so the idea that we were working on at the time was actually a uh, Keurig K-cup built into a refrigerator. And so the the way that this model was supposed to work for our business was there was a VC panel. Uh, I, I use the word VC with kind of air quotes around it. It was the CEO, the CTO, the head of R&D, and the head of product. And every two weeks, um, employees would have the opportunity to take their idea in front of that panel and get effectively funded with a certain amount of money and for a certain amount of time, obviously a small budget and a small amount of time to prove out whether or not the idea was good, see if they could get some validated learning on the project. And so um, I thought that it was a great opportunity to show what my team had had done. And the idea that we had was to um, do an exchange of value between uh, our refrigerator that had a K-cup built into it and um, our potential customer's refrigerator plus 200 or $300 um, to find out if people would be willing to pay for an upgrade to their refrigerator to get this K-cup feature built into it. Um, 
the Ironic, so, ironically i was the, at a home show last week and uh, they had th- that refrigerator there with a k-cup built in and i think it probably added you know twenty thousand dollars to the uh to the value of the house because everybody was kind of uh, crowded around it with uh <laughs> with envy yeah um people really like the feature um it, it but it wasn't something it sounded like a crazy idea internally yeah, exactly. at the time and you know you think that um businesses think about uh, these types of projects. The typical thought process that goes around this, a project like this is, okay, it's going to cost us something like 10 or $15 million to actually completely develop and tool up for the product. Uh, we think we can get a certain number of dollars, maybe $150 incrementally, and maybe a certain number of floor spaces. And so they multiply the incremental number by the number of floor spaces and the number, amount of volume they can get for a floor space and say, does that cover the cost? in the right amount of time. So they're looking for an ROI or an internal rate of return. Um, and if from conventional methods, like that method doesn't work very well for some of these projects where you really, really don't know that much about the market. Right. And so this was one that had been, had been getting kicked around and um, frequently uh, pushed aside. So we thought that this method that was new to us, using the scientific method to approach finding out if people would be willing to pay a certain amount of money for a product was a really cool idea. So we got uh, effectively uh, another air quote, but funded for this project. Um, And so we'd been given kind of the stamp of approval from the business to do it. Well, what we found was the stamp of approval from the business was one thing, but actually figuring out how to execute it was another. So um, as an example, uh, we were supposed to figure out how to take money from customers, from actual consumers, we didn't have any way to do that. So strike one against us. Strike two was we had the design. We took it to the factory and the factory said, we don't know how to build 10 units of anything. Mm-hmm. So we can't really get you. They said they'd do it, but it was a, we'll maybe get to it in a month or two. And we kept getting pushed off. And then the third big question that everyone had was, how are you going to get a refrigerator out into the marketplace when it hasn't gone through all the reliability testing and um, there were big concerns from the brand that this could end up being a stain on our reputation. And so from that experience, and so effectively, the program actually got canceled. And so I was sitting in this place thinking, I just went through this kind of entrepreneurial experience. I pitched my idea, but it didn't go anywhere. And I didn't know what was next for me. So I decided I was going to try something new. And I found out that there was a team that was working on figuring out how to solve those exact problems. Um, and that team was the first build team. So I was one of the early founding members of the first build team. And what we realized through the kind of hard experience of trying to figure out how to be entrepreneurial within the, the uh, or within a large organization was the large organization is really optimized for um, making your current system perform. And it's not really designed for figuring out how to make something new work. Right. And so we figured out that there are these hurdles that exist and we needed to figure out how to clear the hurdles. So first builds founding team was trying to figure out how to solve the, for the impediments that existed to getting innovative new product out. So what we decided we were going to do, this was back in 2014 was first thing we needed to have a place where we could build anything that we could imagine. So you got to imagine a lot of the people that are involved in this. In fact, I think all of us were engineers and we were very, very, enthusiastic about the opportunity to see the the ideas that existed typically just in the R&D lab and couldn't get beyond that stage. We're very excited to see them come out in the world. So the, how big, a how lot big, of the... How big was that team? Sorry. 
that was the fur the early team like there were five to ten of us by the time we got fully upscale and running it's about 20 and we've said that 20 is about the right number for the size of the team for first build mm-hmm. um when we first started again all engineers and all of us were really really hyped up on figuring out how to manufacture and design the products we didn't know that much about the sale process so we said we're going to be able to make any product that we need and this is anything from a small appliance to a big appliance we said that we're going to have to be able to have a channel to sell it and specifically we didn't want uh any um anyone to tell us how we couldn't sell it so in our business and i think it's true for many businesses um there's channel conflict that occurs where you've got a customer who may want to make sure that you're only selling in a certain way. So for us, the concern was how can we sell stuff online? Because we knew that online sales would probably be the fastest way for us to get up and sell stuff. And then the third thing that we needed to make sure was to have our own brand so that no one could tell us that we can't use uh, the GE brand to sell something. So we created a first build brand. Um, And um, along with those three things, we found that, First of all, those helped us overcome a lot of the conflict that existed, a lot of the impediments that existed. And so then we said, okay, how are we going to do this? If this is really about innovation um, and really about lean startup practices, then we need to make sure that we are investing small amounts of time and effort into any one idea until we know whether or not it's a good idea. So our KPIs for the project were, we're going to be able to um, make about 12 products a year and we're not going to spend any more than 90 days on any given project before we get into the market. So 90 days from mine to market, 12 projects a year. And one of those projects needs to become a core G appliances product every single year so that there's continuous innovation happening. Um, So those were the kind of founding principles of what we put together with first build. Those kind of metrics that you kind of set around, was that just kind of 90 days seems like the right amount of time to, to see if we can get traction or not and then kill it or, or keep it going? Or uh, how did you kind of come up with the 90 days and the 12 products in that? Um, the 12 products was purely driven by the sense that there's a lot of ideas and the ideas tend to not get um, get their play. So if you've got a team of 20 people, um, the, the default thing to think is that these, this team of 20 people could at best do one product every year. Mm-hmm. And you look at that team of 20 people and you say 20 people at, you, you know, you think about what it might cost for 20 people. So right. maybe $3 million a year or something like that for the headcount. And you think that's $3 million you're investing in a product before you know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't seem like a good choice from a, from the, a lean startup perspective, right? So mm-hmm. then you you back calculate and you think, okay, if I got these twenty people, I'm doing twelve a year. Twenty divided by twelve is about two hundred fifty thousand dollars in effort that we put into it. I think I did the math right there. And so that starts to seem like for reasonable for uh, a more reasonable investment for us to put behind a specific product. Well, so that's kind of that, where that came from. Yeah, and also knowing that like you need to have more than one bet because your chance of having that one particular product exactly. 100% right. It's, and it's so we expect like with those 12 products a year, we expect maybe two or three of them to be successful to the point where we take it beyond a minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. Now, 90 days, where did that come from? Um, 
90 days means effectively a minimum viable product. So it could mean we build a prototype and we we put it up for sale on our website. Right. It also could mean it's a 90 days sprint to a crowdfunding campaign where we don't have the product available for sale yet, but we have a pitch, a price point, and a picture of the product that we can make available for people. But 90 days felt like about the right amount of time to put together a prototype and get a minimum viable product together. Mm-hmm. It's not too short, meaning it's you have enough time to kind of consider and make a good product experience and think more about the consumer and get some feedback. But it's not too long where you're not spending too much time. Um, so it it was kind of a gut feel thing. And frankly, I don't think we knew on day one it was going to be 90 days. But within six months or so, we un- we understood that 90 days was a a reasonable time frame uh, for us to get something done. Um, so as an example, and this still sounds crazy to a lot of people, but um, first build's done it four or five different times where they've been able to come up with a product concept that started, starts as an idea in March. And by the end of May or June, it's actually a fully running crowdfunding campaign and is being fully wow. funded. So it's it's amazing what can actually be done um, when you put the team's effort toward and when you give the, that insane timeline of 90 days and um, you get the team's full effort and concentration put behind it. Yeah, I think having that constraint actually helps folks go faster. Uh, and I would imagine that would that 90 days is significantly faster than the traditional process that's been done. Or, or... Yeah, um, and it, it's... It's not an apples to apples measurement. So people quite often ask us, so how does this compare? Um, the difference between this and typical product development, when you think of typical product development, a lot of people think of measuring from the time that the engineering team first digs in there, um, digs in and starts working on it. And you'd probably say that's um, 18 months to two year process. Um, the truth of the matter is a lot of the early development of it project or a product starts in the ideation phase and for us that process can be on the quick end six months and on the long end anywhere from two to seven years right we actually sit and we talk about ideas for a long time frequently before we do anything about them Um, so the way that we measure it really we look at the amount of time it takes us to get from the original concept to the amount of time it takes us to get to the point where it's offered available for sale it's a very different way of measuring it because most product development processes don't foresee the opportunity to have something available for sale before it's available to ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so available for sale, we could we can literally be there and you could be there in a week. You could be there in four weeks. You could be there in 90 days. Available to ship on hardware products usually doesn't happen for 18 weeks to 18 months to two years right. um, for almost any product you can imagine. Very interesting. So, so uh, you you got it up and going. You're you're working with this. You know, I think you called it the micro factory. Um, so, what are some of the things that happened uh, through that particular process? Yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, folly. Like uh, when the first <laughs> six months was just one one mistake or one challenge after another. Um, so, you know, I I told the story in reverse and made it sound like it's pretty obvious what those obstacles were. Um, but we didn't fully understand what obstacles we were trying to um, avoid for the first six months. So I'll give you an example of uh, some of the challenges that we had. One that was really interesting was um, 
there was an idea that existed in one of the R&D labs. There had been an industrial designer and an engineer had worked on this project. It was a range that had two ovens in it, an upper oven and a lower oven. So imagine a 36-inch range that's got the stove on the top. Generally, you have one oven. This one had two ovens. And the challenge that the designer had um, come up with was this upper oven was like about nine inches tall. So you open this door, hinged door, and you, in order to get your tray of cookies or whatever, you kind of have to put your hand arm inside the oven in order to reach right. that tray of cookies. And since it's a narrow cavity, there's a decent chance you're going to touch yourself. The, <laughs> yeah, you're going to burn yourself. Um, and so the idea that this designer had was let's make it so you have a slight hinge on the door, but the, the door actually pulls out like a drawer. So the top top oven that narrow one is actually a drawer that pulls out so you pull it out and then you set your cookies on the top and then you push it back in um really really cool idea it was an idea that for one reason or another just like many ideas our business core business didn't pick up on and uh first builds team saw it and said this is a product that we definitely want to make so for us what that looked like was get an oven in um take the oven apart replace some of the parts, um, and then ship it out the door. Well, we knew how to do everything about that process except how to figure out how to sell it. And we were very, very stubborn early on about how we were going to sell products. Very, very uh, staunch process around wanting to make sure that we sold this thing online because we said, we want to prove that we can sell these appliances online. So imagine a bunch of engineers putting together an e-commerce platform, <laughs> opening it up on day one and saying, you're going to buy this new product from a brand you've never heard of. Um, <laughs> that's a $2,000 product. We, you don't know how you're going to get shipping service warranty or anything. Um, from uh, And you're going to buy it today and we're going to ship it to you. That That's not something that really is going to work very well. But it was a process we had to go through to understand what the problems with it would be. So what ended up happening, which worked really well for us, was we have independent dealers all across the nation who are clamoring to have something new and unique that they can sell, that they can say, this is unique. You can't get this anywhere else. So ultimately, after trying many different ways to figure out how to sell this thing online, we went and we sent, we hired a salesperson at first build. We had that person go and um, talk to dealers about it. And they were able to find lots of dealers who wanted to have the product in. We were able to test the price point on a real sales floor against real product and prove that there was a value proposition to add $200 to this product um, that people would really buy it. Um, And then the next thing that happened was our factory got flooded with um, orders for this product. And it was, you know, we built this thing as a micro factory. So our vision was we'd be able to build a thousand units of anything. Well, this started kind of overtaking our ability to build the other stuff we wanted to build. We'd proven what we wanted to prove. And so you'd think the next natural step would be we've proven what we need to prove. Um, there's no more um, no more uncertainty about what the business model is. So GE Appliances is going to pick it up and take it. Yeah, put it back well, into the mothership or, and go. <laughs> yeah, back to the mothership. Well, this one still has yet to go back to the mothership. They, they looked at the data and it wasn't compelling enough. Hmm. And so you, you're going to, you know, from one misstep to the next. Um, so that was an interesting that was an interesting journey. Um, I think one some of the other things that we learned. I'll, I'll give you an example around a crowdfunding campaign. Um, initially, I think we were really really skittish about running in crowdfunding campaigns. Um, 
there was a lot of concern that a crowdfunding campaign would be uh, seen as disingenuous because it had GE's name by it behind it. And at that point in time, crowdfunding was being seen as a way for entrepreneurs to get right. their startup capital. Um, but we looked at it and we saw it as the best way to prove a value proposition for a product. Because uh, there's no commitment if you don't hit hit your funding goal. So right, right. if if you can't generate enough interest in your product, then you're not required to go forward with it. And you've really invested a relatively small amount. And so we decided that it was something that we had to try. The first crowdfunding campaign we ran was for a sous vide product. Sous vide is a way of uh, making your foods um, in, you vacuum seal your food in a bag, yeah, nice. you submerge it underwater, and it brings the food up to a, a temperature. So it's great for steak. Anyone who wants to know more about it can reach out to me afterward. Um, but this product was going to be a very unique product. And it was the, the benefit of the product to us was it's sous vide on a burner instead of with a standalone like uh, immersion circulator design. So there are some, some designs that really didn't fit well with our product portfolio. In this case, we were designing something that would fit very well. The technology would work very well across the board with um, GE Appliances cooking platform. and. Um, so we decided we were going to run a crowdfunding campaign and we said, true to form, we're not going to spend more than 90 days on this. So I think it was December 2014, um, we came up with the idea, we slapped a price point on it, put together a prototype and literally took video of this plastic prototype that looked like it was kind of working, but really was just a plastic prototype of the thing that we knew that we could build because we had a lot of cooktop experience. Um, and by February of the following year, 2015, we had launched a crowdfunding campaign. And our first crowdfunding campaign did 350000 which for us, that was the biggest uh, single product that we had at that point. We were less than a year old at that, at that stage, which gave us this pretty strong indication that crowdfunding was going to be a good way for us to take our products out to market. And it turned out to be, you know, one of the, a very successful way for us to prove a value proposition in particular. And then the, the product design and some of the technology that we designed for that ended up becoming technology and G-appliances cooktops and still is actually one of our very unique offerings that uh, no competition has yet caught up with this one. That's the end of another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about our team and the content and other services we have to offer, check out insideoutside.io. Until next time, go out and innovate.